It all builds to the big indoor fake rodeo. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Do you like confusing narratives, strange pacing, abusive, toxic relationships, and great country music of the late 1970s? Well, boy, do we have a movie for you. Today, we watch the 1980 classic, Urban Cowboy. But first, what's your favorite Mickey Gilly song in Texas? <laughs> <laughs> I like, uh, he does a very, he did a very nice cover, I think is an 82 of uh, the Joe Seneca song, Talk to Me, which we talked about uh, because it was a hit earlier by San Antonio's Sonny and the Sunglows. It's a really pretty song and uh, Mickey Gill does a nice cover of it. Talk to me. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, it's been a while since I've listened to Mickey Gilly. Well, technically only about a day, but... um, (laughs) The one, the one that, the one that really sticks in my head is uh, "Here Comes the Hurt Again." Um, I actually remember that one from my childhood. Um, so, uh, yeah, "Here Comes the Hurt Again." I just have to say, listen, guys, won't you stand, stand by me? <laughs> Please stand by me. No, his cover "Stand by Me" is really nice, but uh, <clears throat> you know. Really, if you want to have a fun time, go back and Google the 1979 studio album release called The Songs We Made Love To. (laughs) And the cover is out of sight. Uh, It is outstanding. Yeah. Hang on, I'm going to pull it up here. Yeah, it's, it's... I mean, it is... Peak 79. That's all I got to say. But, uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, he's a great listener, he's a great artist. Gillies is, you know, is, I think probably as much from anything else from this movie, but had became an institution and uh, is now, you know, a, a chain of institutions. So you can't, can't fault the guy. Great performer, great piano player. Kind of short, but we'll get to that later in the episode. So uh, the... Internet Movie Database describes this movie as Bud is a young man from the country who learns about life and love in a Houston bar. <laughs> That's accurate. Thanks for listening to Come and Take It, folks. We are find our notes and show links at No, that really there's that is that is like the is one of the worst movie descriptions I've seen on IMDb. He is from the country. It is he accurate. learns about life and love. <clears throat> Yeah, he also learns a lot of other things along the way, things that no person should learn. So I guess first I'd start off, you know, uh, so what is Urban Cowboy? I mean, I think uh, I one description I read it, had compared it to uh, Sean and my beloved uh, Yacht Rock as <laughs> <laughs> to describe the late 70s, like, uh, you know, dance hall sound, but but to me, Urban Cowboy really represents, you know, uh, I think a lot of probably what uh, I know for sure what 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 the three of us grew up or the cowboys that we grew up around were not 
on their way to being professional bull riders or anything. They were, you know, gumpers in the oil field or they were, you know, people who worked, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were blue collar fellows that, that uh, worked out on the rigs, you know, and flew home on the weekends. Well, I think if I had to sum up this movie, other than uh, just one of the greatest soundtracks ever, it's that it perfectly captured uh, the zeitgeist that was early 1980s American fascination with country and Western culture. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was the height of that um, kind of Hollywood type country and Western culture um, that was kind of all over the place at the time. That's country politan. Yeah, I mean it was you know Mickey Gilly, Kenny Rogers, Johnny Lee. Um, that's you know that's as almost as popular you know until many years later that was you know seemed like as popular as country and western was going to get in the mainstream. Um, and this movie kind of just captures all of that. Um, I don't think it's a particularly great movie, but um, it did capture a lot of that culture. In addition to what um, I knew from actual life in um, South Texas chemical oil industry. Yeah, this, this I, one probably hit a little close to home for you, Scott. A lot, a lot of it was very familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's, I think it's a very, it is a very specific time, like time capsule of like, uh, like you said, with the country music, but with John Travolta, <laughs> because it's yeah. two years after, after it, it, in some ways, a lot of people dismiss it accurately as a, a country Saturday Night Fever, uh, yeah. and, and that, and that, that, that holds water. I mean, it really does. Uh, but it's also, I think, a very specific snapshot of like Houston and Texas in 1980. The oil industry's struggling but strong before the complete collapse. A couple of years later, wipes everything out uh, and changes everything. But it's also like kind of it's like kind of the negative Dallas, kind of the counter Dallas, because Dallas was popular and and that showed one side of Texas and the oil industry. And this really shows like a working man side of Texas and working class Texas. Uh, in Houston in that time period. So I think that that I think it's a very specific time capsule. As far as a movie goes, there's not a lot to it. Um, it's kind of hard to describe uh, other than to say, yeah, it really is kind of slice of life, Saturday Night Fever, but with, you know, set in Texas with country country songs. But I, I think as far as like the cultural significance, that's really to me. I mean, I saw so much of my childhood also in this, mm-hmm. that, and even though we lived in a different part of the state. But, you know, my uncle lived in, in Houston. We we were in, you know, we were in West Texas, which is where, you know, not far from Spur, which is where, you know, Bud was from. So uh, it's not, it was not that difficult for me to see all of that. You know, and, and uh, you know, some things really stood out and just were like, oh, hey, trailer houses. Yep, that was a big deal. Well, I mean, so... We can come back to trailer houses in a minute, but I was just, you know, it's interesting. The movie, two things I want to talk about just in the opening of the movie. So you you take, uh, arguably, in 1980, you know, Travolta is fairly on fire. I think he had one kind of half dud in 78, but other than that, like, you know, he is hot fire. And you put him in a, in a brush popper and you put it, you know, you put him in a country shirt, you put him in some Wranglers and boots. And it was really interesting because it opens with, He's got a beard on, mm-hmm. and I don't know that he's really been bearded in any other film that I could think of. 
I'm sure he has recently, but not yeah. Well, like I mean, yeah, like we're creepy goatee later in life, but I'm talking like in, you know, in his young handsome days. But uh, oh, yeah, he, yeah. he had kind of a, you know, he had almost a, a kind of almost reminded me like a Bradley Cooper vibe. It was weird, but he was like, oh, that, you know. But it was just interesting to see that. But the other part that was is he he starts in Spur, and then you see him, well, bye all, and he hops in his truck and drives to to Houston. Well, it's like a. It's like an eight nine hour drive. I mean, you got to stop and eat, and you got to you know, it's a long way to go from Spur Houston. Uh, but the other thing was Spur looked very lush, like yeah, Spur Spur was very green. I was like, I need, I need, didn't go back and check like what was the weather in nineteen seventy nine in Spur, but it was <laughs> it seemed overly green for for that. I mean, stretch maybe of they Texas. Live- Maybe they lived in a part of part of town that had some trees. When I yeah. when I went to Google Maps and took a little like road like virtual road trip to Spur and just did a little bit of like street walking with the little Google guy, it's uh it's pretty dusty. Yeah, but there's trees. I mean, there's a, there's I, Spur's uh, not that bad. It's it's not like it's not like Mintone. I know, no, 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 no. But go back and watch that opening and be like, this is a really like this is a really lush farm. Spurs about seventy miles from Lubbock. The point is, I got about, I got hung up about thirty seconds into this film, guys. That's for those listening. I, I about thirty seconds yeah. in, I was like, man, I'm I'm into this. Uh, but, but yeah, so so for geography, it does okay. It actually does great once it gets to Houston, I think, and Pasadena specifically. It, the 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 geography is just amazing. Of of they filmed it all in location. It looks great. Yeah. So it's that is the they, time capsule part of it. But they the when they the shots they have of Houston and of Pasadena and of the the ship channel, I, I was just there last week, uh, and literally it looks the same. I mean, there's there's stretches yeah, of um, Pasadena that look exactly alike. Yeah, and I you know a, a few of those shots of him driving down the highway past all the the tanks and the pipes and the the towers yeah. i'm just like the you know that, and everything. Yeah. that could have been you know very well could have been shot where i grew up in texas city there's yeah. stretches of road that look just like that um i've probably been down those same roads in pasadena um that that's that and that's one of the things that i remember about this movie i had not actually seen this until i watched it this week um but i remember I remember growing up and as a kid, people talking about, hey, they're shooting this big movie or they shot this big movie um, right here in Pasadena. My uncle, uh, two of my uncles lived in that area, still do actually. And, uh, you know, so everybody knew about Gillies and uh, Pasadena was somewhere that we went on a regular basis. So to, to hear them, oh, they made this movie there, it was kind of a, like when they um, shot a scene or two uh, from Silkwood in Texas City in an old Dairy Queen. I remember that. But, um, you know, it's, it's just that idea of, like, capturing something that I know and I'm familiar with and seeing that on screen. Um, for me personally, it added a lot of authenticity. Well, let, let's let's talk about the plot. So it, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting Oh, plot. I waste time on that old song, yeah. Sean. Uh, so for those who haven't seen this movie, it's this is 1980, and uh, John Travolta... <laughs> famously from Saturday Night Fever and Greece, uh, was uh, cast as a young Texas guy, a, a kid from Texas who has a beard. Uh, he's from West Texas, and he's, he, wants to, uh, he wants to make some money, and so he's heading in to Houston 
to get a job in the oil refinery industry uh, where his uncle and his aunt live. Uh, and his uncle works in a re- oil refinery. And so he drives to, to Pasadena, Texas, which is just east of Houston, uh, where there's a lot of oil refineries. And he goes to stay with his aunt and uncle. And when his first night there, they take him to this honky-tonk. And it's a place called Gillies. Uh, and Gillies is an actual bar in Pasadena. It's a real real place. And a singer, uh, Mickey Gilly, plays himself. Uh, and he is the owner of this bar. And they it's the build as the world's largest honky-tonk. Uh, and, uh, he goes to, uh, this bar and, uh, meets some folks and, uh, goes home with, uh, a couple of gals the first night. And one of them is, uh, Jerry Hall, who was famously Mick Jagger's longtime girlfriend. I think now she's married to, uh, Rupert Murdoch. But anyway, uh, he does, uh, he also meets a young girl, a young lady there played by Deborah Winger named Sissy. Uh, Bud gets a job at the, at the oil refinery as a gopher, uh, as a kind of just a, Roused about handyman, uh, jack of all trades kind of worker, and every night he and his friends go to Mick to Gillies to to drink their Lone Star beer and to dance and flirt with girls. And he meets Sissy, and they fall in love almost immediately. Uh, they like in like one dance, and they're pretty much done, right? Yeah. Well, why waste time on these yeah. parts of the plot when they're so yeah. many, so many other like long-winded so so they the uh, they uh, after a fight. Uh, in a big mud puddle in front of the uh, in front of a um, diner, they decide to get married. Uh, they get married at, at Gillies, uh, and I texted Mike when I watched this, and he is wearing a white suit with a with white cowboy boots. Uh, and I texted Mike. I, I, I didn't text you, Scott. I didn't know if you were watching the show yet, but uh, uh, I said we should have worn white cowboy boots at Mike's wedding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Keep it classy, y'all. Keep um, it classy. Yeah. So, and they move into their brand new mobile home, uh, which is festooned with a great big red bow. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is that is Texas 1980 right there. And that mobile home has wall to wall paneling and shag carpeting. Yeah, so they've only known each other about a week, and they're married for a couple of weeks, and they're they are they're they're passionately in love, but they also fight a lot. Uh, and then the plot conflict is introduced, and that is the mechanical bull at Gillies. So the mechanical bull, for if you really honestly just go to YouTube and watch some clips or something, you don't have to watch the whole movie if you don't want to. But the mechanical bull is the thing that made Gillies famous, and this movie kind of brought to the forefront. It's a training device for people who want to learn to ride bulls. Uh, generally, you start kids off on what's called a, a barrel bull, which is just a, a like an oil barrel that's suspended with some ropes, and you pull the ropes to kind of give the bucking motion. But then these are kind of a larger mechanical version. It, it's got a, a big motor that causes it to mimic the bucking motion of a bull, and then you have an operator who kind of spins it left and right to give the the rotation piece of what what a uh, bull riding is, and, and it's quite dangerous. It it is. Well, it's uh, it is, and I guess I would ask the question is in if, if any of you guys have ever ridden one. I've ridden a mechanical bull before, um, nope. not in my youth, of course. This was at a, I was actually in the at the Gillies in Las Vegas at a corporate event, and they had they had us there, and I was in dress shoes and dress pants, and was got on that thing because everybody was doing it and it is not an activity you should do in your dress shoes 
don't wear your church clothes to get on the on the bull. But uh, but anyway, the whole point is is that they've added it's this kind of attraction, and you pay a couple of bucks, and you get up there, and you can ride. And so, so a lot of the drunk cowboys are just hanging out there. You know, again, a lot of a lot of city folk working at the factory, working in the oil fields, working at the petroleum plant. But they'll get on the bull and they'll ride it, and you, you know you feel like a cowboy for about ten minutes. And uh, and so Bud kind of gets into this, gets into it. He he loves it. Uh, Sissy wants to ride. He says, "No, no, it's not for girls." Yeah, it's not and, for girls. It's not for not girls. girls. Literally says it's not for girls. And uh, and uh, and so that sort of starts this conflict of like she's you know she just wants to participate, be part of yep. the team, have fun. But uh, he's he's kind of very not cool about that. Yeah, and so they had they had gone uh, to the Texas Prison Rodeo in Huntsville, uh, Texas State Prison in Huntsville. Uh, and seen at rodeo and he'd been talking about bull riders and uh, one of the bull riders is a prisoner and and they they notice him well this guy uh, played by uh, his name is Wes Hightower played by Scott Glenn he gets out of parole from Huntsville and he gets a job at Gillies and he's running the mechanical bull because he's a friend of uh, the I guess the manager sort of a Gillies uh, played by the great character actor James Gammon uh, and uh, so Wes Hightower he's this really tall you know, you know, Scott Glenn, he's harsh looking, he's got muscles and wears a mesh shirt, but he's tough enough to carry it, carry it off. And he's great at the, at the bull and Bud's pretty good at it, but Wes is better. And he's flirting with sissy and that ticks Bud off and he gets in a fight with Wes and gets, get, he loses. Um, and then sissy starts spending time at Gillies during the day to learn how to ride the mechanical bull. And so it spends more time with Wes and Bud doesn't know about this uh finally they have there's an accident uh bud is nearly falls off of the side of a what is it like a platform or a he's yeah he's up on a scaffolding tank. he's, he's up, up on a scaffold he's like 200 yeah, he, yeah he's 200 feet up on yeah. a scaffolding yeah and it freaks him out and 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 uh, sissy wasn't home for him you know to find out about this and he finds out she was that she was riding the bull uh and uh he gets mad that she rides the bull and lies to him and uh, then he decides to get on the bull and he falls off and wet, uh, Hightower intentionally causes the bull to come around and it breaks Wes's, uh, Bud's arm. He loses his job. And uh, he gets still even, even madder at Sissy than he does at Wes. Um, and uh, they get in a fight and then Bud kind of slaps her and he throws her out of the trailer and she goes off. They wind up both at Gillies and she's there with Wes and he's there. And he picks up this this uh, this lady named Pam. She's a classy kind of country lady, and he's dancing with her. And she's uh, Sissy's dancing with Wes. And basically, they each go home with the other person. But uh, Sissy doesn't cheat on Bud, but Bud certainly does cheat on Sissy with Pam. And she finds out about it. Sissy finds out about it, and then she moves out and uh, moves in with Wes and does does kind of you know, hook up with him. Oh yeah, it's, well, it's uh, it's it's a straight up thing of it's like he throws her out, she goes to the other guy to the bad guy. He meets this uh, this kind of rich girl who likes to torture yeah. her dad by dating cowboys. So yeah. so so he's with Pam and Sissy's with Wes. And if you're confused at this point, don't worry because the movie goes so plenty we're... slow that you can easily keep up with who's yeah. with who. Yeah. So there's gonna be this contest at. at 
uh, Gillies and Bud. Uh, Bud does uh, does manage to get. Uh, well, his, he does manage. Uh, well, let's yeah, the, he does the, manage to heal up. Hang on, yeah. you're, you're glossing over this. His uncle, Bob yes. Barry Corbin, championship yeah, bull the rider. Great Barry Corbin. There's great. a there's a short montage sequence because you couldn't have a, you, everything needs a training montage sequence in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, teaches him the you know how to how to be a, a real like old school bull rider and so he works yeah. with his, his uncle so he's going to win they're going to have this big showdown it all builds to the big indoor fake rodeo yeah yeah and he and but and bob uncle bob also tells bud he needs to get back with sissy that it's not the right thing uh that they need he needs to give her another chance and meanwhile sissy uh has gone back to the mobile home to pick up her stuff but she cleaned the house and left him a note left bud a note saying that she hoped they could get back together but Pam gets there and uh, she gets that note and tears it up. So Bud thinks that Pam uh, has cleaned up the the trailer. Meanwhile, Sissy comes home and finds Wes is cheating on her uh, with one of her friends. But uh, and she tries to leave, but he gets abusive with her and he he hits her and won't let her leave. So she becomes locked in this toxic abusive relationship uh, with this criminal. Uh, this former ex-con, and uh, while Bud is trying to uh, determine, he's trying to get his skill enough up to to win this prize. Sadly, uh, there is an accident at the uh, at the plant, and Uncle Bob is uh, is he struck by lightning, or does there like There's, lightning? Well, hit the- lightning strikes the tank that he's climbing up on, and then a fire starts. So probably. Um, yeah, a combination between the lightning and burning. Yeah. So he well, dies. Listen, my point is this. If if any of you wants to have a deep, heartfelt conversation about life lessons, let's not do it at night on a metal tower during a thunderstorm <laughs> in, in yeah. Houston. Yeah. So Sissy goes to the funeral and uh, tells Bud that, that her and Wes, are, Wes is going to win the, the, bull, the prize of the bull riding contest, and then they're going to leave. Houston to go to Mexico because it's he can that way he can get real jobs because he's he's a crook. But then they have the contest and there's some great scenes uh, with uh, Charlie Daniels band. There's a there's a there's a rodeo contest. There's a what is it a punch bag contest where like they have this machine that you punch. Yeah, in. that uh, apparently. Yeah, and they they still have those punching bag things. There's one at the Buffalo Wild Wings by us. Um, oh. They said something in, earlier in the movie about they put that thing in and it stopped a lot of fights between. Oh yeah, cowboys. Between cowboys. Yeah, and then yeah, and then there's a there's a there's a there's a dancing contest. So all this is going on at once. Uh, but ultimately, the the two top rodeo, uh, the two top bull riders are Wes and and Bud, and Bud wins the the final bull riding, uh, and uh, he. Uh, He's decided that he's gonna. Uh, he's looking for Sissy because he realizes that he that he loves her, and uh, Pam figures out that she's that he's still in love with Sissy, and uh, tells him that Sissy did clean the trailer and that she tore up the card, and she tells him to go find Sissy. But if you ever want to make her jealous, you come find me. Uh, meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Sissy wants to get out, wants to leave, but then uh, Wes hits her again because he's mad. So he tells her to get in the car, and uh, they're going. Uh, he's he goes in to to rob the cash room at Gillies uh, while they're giving all the 
awards out to everybody. And uh, uh, he's got a gun and a knife. Well, Bud goes out to look for Sissy to find her, and he sees her in a car, and he, he apologizes, tells her that t- for kicking her out, tells her that he loves her, and he you know she gets out of the car and they hug, and then he sees her bruised face where her black eye where Bud had, where Wes had hit her, and he's mad, and he goes in to find Wes, and she knows he's in there, uh, and he's dangerous, and she tries to stop him, but he uh, he's coming out, and James Gammon, his friend, sees him and is like, "What are you doing?" and and a, and Bud jumps jumps on Wes and beats the crap out of him. Knocks the gun out of his hand, knocks the knife out of his hand, and just and knocks the money out of his jacket. And everybody sees that it's a robbery and that Bud has Bud has stopped Wes. And uh, and uh, then he and Sissy just go out and walk off into the parking lot and get in their truck and leave. I mean, and the end of the story. The it's just end. Well, here's the thing. It's romantic. I mean. He, like we did the legend of Billie Jean a while mm-hmm. back and we were like, wow, you know, like this movie feels like your, it felt very timely because of a lot of like the, uh, the empowerment of women movement and sort of things people are talking about. And it's just about, Hey, you know, this, nobody believed this young girl and she stood up for herself and just made, you know, and it'd be like, Oh, you feel kind of empowered. You watch this. And this, I mean, 90% of this movie is people, uh, you know, telling poor sissy to you know shut up and sit down. Uh, yeah, you're just a girl. <laughs> you're just a girl. Although she has a pretty manly job, she drives a tow truck. I, I know, I know. It's a weird film, but again, I think yeah. Like I don't, you know, again, man, the '80s, they were weird. Um, I, I, I think you know, if you watch this from the perspective of just what do you, what was. What was this scene in Houston? I think it. I think it. It captures a version of it, a stylized version of what that whole scene in Houston was, um, and the in the music and the time. And we laughed about you know when we were talking about this. The soundtrack is this is the soundtrack of our youth. I mean, a lot of um, you throw a little, you sprinkle a little Ronnie Millsap on this, and uh, you know, and some some classic seventies rock, and bam, that that's my childhood jams right there. Um, but, but it was interesting is that I, I know I, my dad had told me a story, you know, he was a musician in San Antonio and had his band and they were the house band for Randy's Rodeo, which is, was a big dance hall in, uh, San Antonio. So you go to San Antonio, you have like the Blue Bond Palace, you had the Golden Stallion, but you had Randy's was, it was an old big bowling alley and they bought it out and they turned the whole thing into a big, uh, country dance club. And I guess like the urban cowboy producers they'd scouted the location they'd talked to them like there was a there was a chance that it wouldn't have been gillies that it might have been randy's it might have been some other place that they might have rebranded you know how you know how these movie kind of things go but uh that movie like you know if i would be great to take it and just cut out all the other junk and just put the music in (laughs) just the scenes of people in the dance hall dancing charlie daniels band sawing away on fiddles and uh, you know see Mickey Gilly tickling the piano like that that music is I mean this the, this the, album went triple platinum I mean what? this 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 was a huge album the movie itself yeah, I think, made I mean, anime, but I wonder if the soundtrack the soundtrack had to have just dominated oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's got to be one of those movies where the soundtrack way out outsold the movie well and, and when you think about it when you think about it if you add up also the singles that came out of that I mean it had it had 
three number one songs on it. You know, Looking for Love, Stand By Me. Uh, it had uh, Could I Have This Dance by Ann Murray. It had Love the World Away. Yeah, Lion Eyes and Devil Went Down to Georgia probably sold a bunch of singles, you know, for, even though they were from the previous year. It was, it was massive. I mean, there had to have been gobs of money made on this. I mean, everybody had this album. I mean, and you can't go to a record bin today in a in a half price books or a used record store and not find fifty copies for fifty cents, you know, in in any particular bin. So, this was a huge deal. I mean, massive. Massive oh yeah, set. great film and well, you know, I, I not just, a great film. Well, no. <laughs> I remember <laughs> seeing. Album. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Sorry, it's great, great movie iconic soundtrack. Film. It's an iconic, iconic film. Iconic film, yeah. And I think, like you see, I think you know. I mean, I just wonder for this generation, for like, yeah, you know, for people who didn't grow up in this time or weren't exposed to what John Travolta was in the seven, you know, I mean, he was on TV, he was in movies, he was, you know, he was on magazines. I wonder, oh, yeah. this is for them when they thing. see I mean, it, they're this, like, this do, is... do people look at that? But do do people who aren't of our generation, John, do they look at this the same and see him in a cowboy hat the same way we would look at Battlefield Earth and be like, what is he doing? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, to me, the holy trinity of John Travolta is, is, is this character is... Grease and his Saturday Night Fever is those those three looks are like until you get to Pulp Fiction that's John Travolta and then like suddenly in Pulp Fiction he became something completely completely different. Well, I think so, you're you're cutting out a lot of the like look who's talking trilogy. Well, I know. I, I'm, I'm powerhouse. What a powerhouse of a, <laughs> of horrible uh, movie making. It, hey, um, you know, but to to a generation before us, it's it's uh, you know, welcome back, Cotter. So right, I understand. Um. So there's just, but there's just some interesting, interesting takeaways. The, the one thing mm. you said, this is night, this is Houston, 1980, a very specific time, very specific time in Texas. I have to ask this question though. There is not a single black folk a person or a Hispanic person anywhere in this movie. In it Houston, is now. in yeah. 1980, <laughs> nowhere, nowhere, no African-Americans, no Hispanic per- nada nothing so it's like this is a very i'm going to say this word this is a very whitewashed view of houston yeah, in tremendously tremendously oh well, yeah yeah no that's also true. Mm-hmm. also no oilers gear anywhere i did not see anyone wearing oh anything or i you know you're right there was no official oilers gear but i did see one of the guys working with bud at the plant had the Oilers Derek painted on his hard hat. Okay. So, All right. Well, there oh, was nice. representation of the Houston Oilers there. Yay. At least that. I'll give them that. Okay. Congratulations, so. that local extra. Hey, you know what? If you're listening <laughs> to this show and like, hey, I think my uncle was in that movie. If he knows who painted that on his hard hat, you tell him to call us because we want to hear yeah. his story. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, seriously. I mean, yeah. There's a scene in the movie. I just going to, I'm not making fun of him. But Mickey Gilly, you know, was this uh, piano player. There's a scene where there's the, we're all going together. Oh, what's going on? They're having a Dolly Parton lookalike contest. And, uh, which by the way, there's probably still a nightclub somewhere in North America right now having a Dolly Parton lookalike contest. Because uh, she's timeless, folks. She's a treasure. But you see Mickey Gilly up there and he's like, asking them their names and walking down the line and he's about a foot and a half shorter than all of these fine ladies that are in their like 
big bouffant hairdos. It was, it was like, wow. Well, cause I'll say this. There's also a scene early, early in the film. I think the first time Bud goes to Gilly's and Johnny Lee's singing and he's wearing a shirtless brush popper shirt. And, uh, you can't see the skin on his shoulders uh, because there's so much hair coming out on the sides <laughs> of his arms. <laughs> There were some hairy dudes back then, uh, I'll tell you. It's a, it a different time, gang. It's different, a different time. Different time. time. Um, so, so some notes, some other notes. Uh, the interesting thing that I read was while he was filming Urban Cowboy, John Travolta had a private corner at the Westheimer Road location of the famous Ninfa's restaurant in Houston. Westheimer Road's a big, big, big road in Houston, there's a lot of restaurants and stuff, and uh, there's a famous Mexican restaurant called Ninfa's. Well, John Travolta had his own private corner while they were filming that movie. So I bet if you could probably go to that that location, and you could maybe even ask, can I sit at the John Travolta corner? Here is another another interesting tidbit. So we recently talked about one of our other favorite Texans, uh, Mr. Patrick Swayze. Well, guess who did the choreography in this movie? His mother, Patsy. This was yes. her first I was gonna, film. I was going to mention that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, still your thunder, Scott. No, that's fine. Um, yeah. So there's an interesting connection to uh, another show that we've done. Yeah. Um, and, and you're I, right. I, I, he could dance. Man, he could. Travolta was a dancer. Yeah. I, I, I did uh, say I did find it uh, interesting. Um, there's a particular scene. I think it's... Um, after he's broken up or he's, you know, separated from Sissy and he's dancing with, with Pam on the dance floor. And, uh, he just has this particular posture of, uh, you know, it, it just looked to me, it was like a proto Vincent Vega. Oh yeah. Yeah. In yeah, a no, cowboy sure. outfit. He just had yeah. the way his, uh, his neck was bent and just the, the yeah, posture his, that he had. I was like, Hey, look, it's, it's, Vince, it's Vincent yeah. Vega dancing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean that's just weird. That scene, I, I noticed that scene as well, and it to me, it, I, I actually it was more like so. Yeah, to me, there there's a there's just a scene. I can't even remember what's going on, but they basically kind of stop and Pam and and uh, uh, Bud go out on the dance floor and do this this Cotton Eye Joe type, you know, you know, country reel type of dance. But I thought I was like, oh, uh, Tony Marino, uh, Tony Monero is dancing, you know. T- Doing doing the clodhopper dance there, but um, that was that was an interesting uh, scene. The other thing I think that's missing, uh, there's not any cocaine in this movie, and I'm not in favor of cocaine, but I would say that cocaine was probably a major part of Gillies <laughs> in 1980. Uh, yeah, I not know. just Lone Star know. and Schlitz and and PBR uh, and Gillies beer. Um, Gillies. Yeah, there <laughs> is a there's a house <laughs> when, brand of beer. When I was watching this, uh, there was, you know, they were mostly drinking Lone Star and Budweiser is what I saw. And then there's one shot that it caught my eye, probably about a third of the way into the movie, saw a shot of the bar, and there's a beer can that had the shape of Texas on it. And I was like, what is that beer? Um, and then I just had to start Googling it. And I think at first, Sean, you and I, we went back and forth, and we you found, uh, what was it, Texas Select, which is a non-alcoholic beer which also has a Texas on it, but it wasn't quite right. And then later on, there was a better shot of that beer can. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, it was Gillies brand beer. So um, if any of you out there have a Gillies beer can that you're willing to part with, um, get in touch because I'd like to have one. 
And that was the brainchild of Sherwood Cryer, who was who was the co-owner of Gillies with Mickey Gilly, uh, who had owned yeah. the nightclub Here's before. His. And he was yeah. his record producer and, he was and his, his business producer. partner. Yeah. yeah, his record producer, business partner. And he was a, they decided, well, we could make more money if we just sold our own beer. Uh, and they did. Um, let's see. What else did I well, notice? Oh, I, uh, are there high-rise condos in Houston, Mike? I think there are. Well, there are there are now. Um, in 1980, there was bound to be at least one building. There was I mean, a couple. There's a, mm-hmm. It's a lot of lot of oil money in, in Houston. That's true. Well, so. that's, I just that, want to take a break here and just point out, let's just talk about some of the great faces in this movie. Yeah. Because not only do you have, you know, oh, John Travolta and Deborah Winger, of course, who's an amazing actress and is a huge body of work, but Scott Glenn, who pays, plays the heavy, uh, well, one, the guy's in, fan, in 1980, that guy was in fantastic shape. I mean, I don't he, yes. he, he must have yes. just been doing sit-ups like 15 hours a day like he's in great shape and they <laughs> but but um but you know he's he's played everything under the sun and uh, in fact we just somebody was talking about the the daredevil miniseries on um or the daredevil series on uh uh netflix and it's like geez isn't that too like the guy's in everything he's in the right stuff he's in this he's in that uh so great actresses that are in there the great barry corbin but I was really uh, surprised. James Gammon is a is a pretty decent face in this movie and shows up, but he's in a million movies. He's one of those guys mm-hmm. when you he's look at him He's one of those character actors. Yeah. Great character actor. Great face. He's been in a zillion movies um, and sort of plays like the, uh, I don't know, what would you call him? Like the... He's crusty a, old man. He's, he's a crusty, crusty old man. He's a crusty old man, but he's a guy who's in charge of all the bull riding stuff at the at the Right. Bar. Well, the funny thing is, is he plays a character named Steve Savage who, were, who Steve is a Strange. bull rider. Steve Strange. Well, there's another actor in the movie who who's who's with him on the running the bull, who goes by the name uh, Scott Strange or Sam Sam Strange. That's the real Steve Strange. So apparently, Steve Strange was a real person. He was in the movie. James Gammon plays him, but then the real Steve Strange plays his his own brother. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there's a Steve. It's very strange. Very strange. Strange stuff going on. Uh, the other, another person I mentioned, Jerry Hall. Uh, she plays one of the. Her and her sister were the two girls that Bud goes home with early in the film, uh, and then the actress who plays Pam. Uh, what was her name, Scott? Uh, Madeline. Madeline Smith. Madeline Smith, yes. who was in Funny Farm with. Yes, Debbie played Chevy uh, Chase's wife. Yeah, I remembered her from. Um, because I'm probably one of the only people that actually liked that movie, was the sequel to 2001, 2010. Yeah. She's in that enough. for a little bit. Yes. Yeah. She yes. was also she was in a couple also episodes of Cheers. She's a dolphin scientist in that one. Yeah. Yeah. She was in a couple episodes of Cheers in the 80s as well. And she did a bunch of TV stuff. And we Falcon. all did episodes of Cheers in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing special uh, there. Yeah. But <laughs> I, and I love Barry Corbin. Barry Corbin is one of my favorite actors. I actually got to meet him one time at a uh, film festival. So it was really neat. He's the pride of La Mesa, and I was was I always think of him in that iconic role in War Games. Yeah, it's the general. He, yeah, the he's, he's, he's the blustery Air Force general, and he gets into it with another Texas native, Dabney Coleman, who you don't think of as being a Texan. He's one of those we got to do an episode on sometime soon. But you know, he's originally from Austin. I picture this guy from you know I'm I grew up just outside of Lubbock, and you know you can take that Austin. You know, whatever you got, and you can stick it where the. 
I just could imagine those two like either really getting along or just really rubbing each other wrong on the set. I would love to have been a fly on the wall to see two great Texas yeah. actors just being blustery at each other. Yeah, another good yeah. actor is uh, uh, another character actor named Cooper Huckabee. Uh, he was probably most famous in uh, the movie Gettysburg, where he plays the Confederate spy. Uh, but he is a uh, he plays Bud's friend, Marshall, uh, good his good friend. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that's it. So those are the those are it's a good, it's really great actors in this movie. Um, and then, of course, you know, famously, the 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 real performers of the film were Mickey Gilly, Johnny Lee, Charlie Daniels. Bonnie Raitt. I was like, oh, that's Bonnie Raitt singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. so and in. she appears in film in the in the film on stage. Yeah. Not just yeah. her voice. Yep. Um, I, I will point out that uh, it's interesting that uh, the main character's name, Bud Davis, um, is also uh, what my uncle is known as. <laughs> um, my my uncle Buddy. Well, so. well, you know, it's funny, like Bud. That well, that was that was my nickname for a long time when I was a little kid growing up. But you yeah. know, I do but like your, the part your initials they, were not B U D. No, no, I think they just said, <laughs> "Hey, bud, come here," and they, that was just dead. But what was I his did name? Like, Buford. Uh, Buford. Buford Ewan Davis. Ewan Davis. That's it. Ewan. U A N. But but you know once you show him. Uh, there's that scene where right if they get married in the back of the truck back window of the truck they have the novelty license plates you know like yeah. you'd get from the Cheerios box on the on your bicycle in the 1980s but they had the bud and the sissy on the one side and it's just like ugh they're literally they're a couple of nicknames like they are just a couple of nicknames together and I don't know if like that was something intentionally done in the writing room or just happenstance I don't understand what it means if you understand yeah. this movie, by the way, please feel yeah. free to send us a note. Yeah. And uh, something else that occurred to me that uh, I have no idea. If you um, – that place where they always went to eat after they were at Gillies, I don't remember what the name of it was. Oh, yeah. You don't remember what the name of it was? Yeah, it was the diner. I don't remember if it had a name, but it was, yeah, it was the diner. Yeah. Well, the sign out front said uh, – was it steaks, shakes, and something – and the, the the shakes was crossed out, and there's got to be a story behind that, and I'd like to know what that is. I I will also say um, just a, a comment on the way some of these things were portrayed in this film. The plants that I know of um, are a lot safer than that. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> this would they be. They don't. Uh, to my knowledge, they don't go climbing around uh, without safety harnesses. And uh, they definitely don't go climbing up on uh, tanks and towers in the middle of a lightning storm. But so, hey, who knows? Wow. In the nineteen eighties, uh, it might have been different. Did we mention? Well, did I, we mention the respirator mask and the beard, Scott? Um, no, we you didn't. Should, why don't you but, talk about uh, that? Yeah, so that was early on in the film. That was a detail when he uh, gets hired on at the plant, and you know, we mentioned that you know John Travolta with a beard was kind of different. But um, they tell him early on when he gets hired that he's got to shave his beard because uh, they uh, have their safety masks that they keep at the plant. And, uh, you know, you have to be able to create a seal on your face. And at least in that time, um, you know, they sealed around the chin. I don't know if that's still a thing or not. But uh, you could not have a beard and work at the plant. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
so I'm uh, a couple of notes. Uh, one thing is, so they do, like I said, they went to the Texas prison rodeo, which is in Huntsville. And those who don't know Huntsville, Texas is between Houston and Dallas. And it is the site of the largest prison in Texas. It is where they execute people at the walls unit. Uh, but from 1931, uh, on they had a rodeo uh, where they raised money for prison education and recreation for the prisoners. Uh, and it was a yearly thing, and it was a very popular event throughout the, the state um, because the state didn't give money to the prisoners for their education or for recreation. Um, they ran until 1981. So this year was that they filmed this in uh, uh, Urban Cowboy was probably the last year or one of the last years they did it in Huntsville. They moved it to Gatesville. Uh, in 1986, and then in 1980, they moved to Gatesville in 1981. 1986 was the end of the rodeo, though, because the federal government gave grant money for inmate education, and so the rodeo ceased to be. So thanks, Reagan. Thanks for ruining <laughs> the Texas tradition. <laughs> Appreciate it. Anyway. Well, I wanted to... Uh... Okay, so a couple other notes, though. So, Scott, I was looking just now for your your uh, di- diner scene in uh, uh-huh. I found a website called 80s movie rewind fastrewind.com and they oh, have well, filming locations go. I can't find anything on the diner however Pam's condo is at 2016 Maine in Houston and it's a 700 foot 700 uh, 700 square foot corner unit uh, and it is still owned. Uh, it was recently purchased by a couple uh, for around $500,000. Hmm. How about that? There you go. The reason that this movie was made all came from an article done for Esquire, The Ballad of the Urban Cowboy, America's Search for True Grit. And he actually was one of the screenwriters on the film. And it's, uh, it's an interesting article that uh, we can put a link in the show notes to it, but it just basically talks a lot about this this style of these these guys who were factory workers, but who were trying to live the cowboy lifestyle and the whole thing about what's going on. It's it's actually really it's kind of a long read, but it's an interesting article that uh, really hooked a producer and then got people interested in the story and then turned it into this movie. So it's uh very it's, anyway. It's just very interesting to me how this sort of they took this one little niche piece of of some culture and then turned it into this thing. But then I can't get too upset about that because then I see like a movie like Breaking uh, <laughs> or Gleaming the Cube and go, oh well. <laughs> or what was the BMX movie? Rad, rad, yeah, yeah, lost <laughs> classic rad. So I think there's something about like people find these, these, you know, these interesting pieces of Americana or culture, and then they say, oh, well, let, you know, well now let's make a movie out of that because people will care about it. But it also it starts a revolution, it modernizes, it brings a lot of what's coming on. So, but uh, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I think the note, the note to, to kind of close this out on is this: is that we always talk about how. Texas is like the land of second chances and the land of reinvention. And I do find it interesting that uh, there's a lot of criticism of moment by moment, his 1978 film that uh, Travolta did. But, you know, then he came back roaring back with this massive hit, huge soundtrack. The film did very well. I think the film made $80 million or something. 
uh, and mm-hmm. is still considered a 71% on the tomato meter, <laughs> which is, which is pretty good. Not bad. Not um, bad. I would not have put it at 71. Just, yeah. You just shared that link about the, the filming locations, Sean. Um, I just looked up the uh, the house that Uncle Bob and Aunt Corrine lived in in the movie. And that is actually in Deer Park, Texas. And um, looked it up on Google Maps. That's actually about six minutes away from my uncle's house in Deer Park. So, nice. Well, now we have, have to put this on I'm the ever come and there, take a road trip map, people. If I'm ever down there for Christmas or something, I'll have to, to drive over there and check it out. So great. So great. You know, when I was born, I, we lived in a trailer house for like almost four years. So I can't. It was actually a lovely park. Like it was a thing. It's not a thing now. People have apartments now. But, but it was a thing that was what people did. Now now with mortgages and stuff, you can get starter homes very cheap. But, but it was the 70s. I have a Different sense time. memory. Have a sense memory of just the creak of floor as you walked, you know, into the trailer house. I like trailer homes because you can put a pillow on the on the big shag carpet floor, and you can put your pillow right on the air conditioning vent, and lay on the floor. <laughs> That's true. With the cold, ice cold pillow. <laughs> they also mentioned in uh, this filming location something I forgot to mention was uh, the the Montgomery Ward sign. Oh wow! We bought so much stuff that from Montgomery Ward. Spotted in the background. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the movie, or at least enjoy us talking about it. If you or someone you know has a personal connection to the legend of Urban Cowboy, drop us a line on Twitter, shoot us an email. We'd love to close the loop on some of these stories and pieces and share it with the rest of our viewers. That wraps up things for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love to dance. You love to ride those bulls, mechanical or otherwise. And you love to listen with your ears. So why not get out there and tell your friends about the great job we're doing here at Come and Take It? And leave us a review on iTunes, because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, go visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-a-Texas-ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants to anyway. <laughs> <laughs>